All right, y'all can have a seat. I'm very excited to be here with you this morning, opening the word, learning from it with you. Um, before we get started, just real quickly, if you'll just bow one more time. Let's, I just want to give this time to the Lord. Dear Heavenly Father, God, I thank you for the worship by song that you've provided. Um, just pray that you would open our hearts, open our ears. We thank you that you've given us your word and that it's true and that it's wholly true and that through it you reveal yourself to us and that in it we can walk in confidence, Father. Pray that that would be true this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, well, good morning. My name is Dusty Davis. I've been on staff at Grace for almost seven years, and my normal Sunday morning responsibility, or joy, I guess, is getting to hang out with the fifth and sixth graders across the street in Club 56. Woo! Some of the leaders there got my back. (laughs) Um, And so if you were to ask them, hey, what's Dusty like? I think the two things they would say I specialize in are high energy and funny noises. Fortunately, I think both of those are spiritual gifts necessary for working with fifth and sixth graders, so it works out really well. Um, My family, there's a a shot. My wife's on the right. That's Amanda. Uh, She oftentimes is helping serve on the worship team across the street in big church. And then my son is Caleb. He's four. And then Mariah, there's two. Just so you don't get the wrong picture, this is an anomaly, okay? This is not the norm, We're all dressed nice, we're all looking at the picture, we're smiling, except for Mariah, she's got some evil plan going on with her finger. But the normal way that our family looks is like this. If you picked any day to stop by the house, this is what you're likely to see. Mariah is a diva, she's a fashionista, you never know. She's got a raincoat, some flip-flops, she's got her Elmo and her designer hat there. She's all girl. And then Caleb here, He's always on an adventure. He is a ball of energy. He is daring, and he will do whatever. I mean, I toss him as high as I can, and he's like, whoa, do it again. So he is like a little mini-me, Frat the Fifth. And so I say Frat the Fifth because if you know my full name, it's Frat Edward Dusty Davis the Fourth. So it's really long. I often get asked, well, was your great-great-grandfather like the founder of a fraternity? No, it's actually more ridiculous than that. Fred is an acronym for Franklin, Roy, Allen, and Thomas. Yeah, I know. All of it. Franklin, Roy, Allen, Thomas, Edward, Dusty, Davis, the fourth is ridiculous. But the four people really aren't even like famous. It's like two brothers, the postman at the time, and the guy that delivered Frat Senior. Thanks for the great name. So my whole life growing up, Frat was just frustrating because... You're sitting in school, the teacher calls roll, they have like that much of your name on the roll sheet, so they'd always say, frat, and everyone, (laughs) and then, yeah, that's me, but I go by Dusty, and then they're always like, well, how do you get Dusty from frat, and I'm like, you don't, if you can see the whole name, it's actually in there, please just change it. So about second grade, man, I I was done with this, I was sick of getting made fun of, I was tired of all the snickering, and just the dumb name in general, so I went to my great grandmother, now I know it's not her fault. But she was the oldest one alive at the time, so she got to hear my complaint. And I said, great-grandmother frat is ridiculous. Why would they have ever done this? The first time was bad enough, and then continue to keep passing it down, which I did. I'm guilty, too. (laughs) But she said, Sonny, they could have done Franklin Allen Roy Thomas and called you a fart. (laughs) Okay, grandmother, thanks for the biggest picture. I'm on board. I'm on board. And so... This morning as we jump in and we look at David, 
we actually get to see a bigger picture. And so many times a bigger picture helps us to trust and help us to move forward in truth. And so last week, Jacob said, y'all looked at David and his desire to build the temple. That God had provided him with peace. And David says, well, my desire is to glorify you and you don't have a home, so I'm gonna build you one. And God said, no. And so the focus of the talk was how do you wait when God says no? Well, this week we get to go beyond that and we get to go, Man, God didn't just say no, but God actually pulled back the curtains and revealed the bigger picture. He could have been silent. He could have used the typical parent phrase, because I said so, but he didn't. He said, David, I'm going to show you what's going on here. So if you guys will turn with me to 2 Samuel chapter 7, that's where we're going to be this morning. And we're going to begin in verse 8. And it says, Now therefore, thus you shall say to my servant David, Thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the pasture, from following the sheep, that you should be ruler over my people Israel. And I've been with you wherever you have gone, and have cut off all your enemies from before you. And I will make you a great name, like the names of great men who are on the earth. I will also appoint a place for my people Israel, and will plant them, that they may live in their own place and not be disturbed again. Nor will the wicked afflict them any more as formerly, even from the day that I commanded judges to be over my people Israel. And I will give you rest from all your enemies. The Lord also declares to you that the Lord will make a house for you. When your days are complete and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your descendant after you, who will come forth from you, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever." I will be a father to him, and he will be a son to me. When he commits iniquity, I will correct him with the rod of men and the strokes of the son of men. But my loving kindness shall not depart from him, as I took it away from Saul, whom I removed from before you. And your house and your kingdom shall endure before me forever. Your throne shall be established forever. In accordance with all these words and all this vision, so Nathan spoke to David. I'm thankful when God takes the time to step back and go, there really is something else going on here. I really do care about what's going on. And I'm not just saying no to you just to frustrate you. A time in my life where I experienced a huge no was my sophomore year at A&M. I'd played baseball my whole life. Since I was four years old, I loved to play baseball. I played it year-round. If anyone was playing baseball, I was there. And I'd always thought baseball was my future. My senior year in high school, I actually got drafted to the Cincinnati Reds in the supplemental draft. But I thought, eh, that's supplemental. I'll go to college. I'll get bigger, stronger, faster, get drafted higher. I'll get to go play in the big leagues quicker. So I went to A&M, sophomore year, developed tendonitis in my elbow and my shoulder. Well, that's no big deal. Tendonitis, people come back from that all the time. But through treatment, we discovered that I actually just have a really weak tendon structure in general. Today, I have tendonitis in my elbow, my shoulder, my knee, bottoms of both my feet. My body was not made for super stress, and really, that's what I did to it my whole life, year-round. So I was like, okay. What I thought was my future, where I thought I was headed, what I had wrapped my whole life around was being ripped from my hands. Well, that was pretty hard, but on top of that, the girl that I was dating at the time had been dating for a little over a year, 
thought things were going great, thought we were headed long term, decided to take an internship in Europe. Okay, cool, you go do your thing, come back, tell me all your stories, that sounds awesome. But right before she takes off, she sends me a message and says, hey, I think this time when we're, a, when we're apart and I'm so far away is a good time to just go our own ways. So, okay, awesome, this is a great year, you know. My whole life is ripped and then what I thought was kind of my future is pulled away. That's why I'm thankful that we have the scripture to look at in times like that and go, okay, I feel like the world's come to an end, but there really is still purpose and there's really still things going on. If you look at the first eight through 11, I think God is just really showing, David, I am in control. Trust me. You read them and it says, I took you from the pasture. I made you ruler over my people Israel. I have been with you wherever you have gone. I have cut off all of your enemies. I will appoint a place for Israel and plant them that they may live. I appointed judges to be over them. I will give you rest. Whole lot of I, 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 I. David's saying, God, God saying, David, trust me. Look at me. I think the passage that stands out the most to me is 2 Samuel 7, 8, where it says, I took you from the pasture, from following the sheep, that you should be ruler over my people Israel. I think back to David being out in the field with the sheep, killing bears and killing lions with his bare hand, watching out for the sheep. I can just see him sitting on a rock, and I'm sure he was probably going, I'm so stressed out. I'm just a shepherd right now, and I've got so many good qualities. I have to figure out how to become king of Israel because I need to maximize my influence. I can't just be stuck in a field. No, obviously, he was just going, Okay, so I'm the youngest son. I get sheep duty. I got it. I'll go out here and I'll do my best. But God points back to it. God says, David, even when you were in the pasture, I was there. And I took you from the pasture and I made you king over my people. So we can trust God's in control. In the mundane, in the boring times when we think nothing's going on, God's in control. When we're facing super hard times or super difficult decisions, God's still in control. It was I, I, I. So you keep going on. And I think that being in control is a great thing. But I've experienced times in my life where the person in control wasn't super trustworthy or wasn't super capable. And those are frustrating times. So I think God goes on to say, not only am I in control, but I'm worthy of your trust and being in control. So if you read, picking up in, let's start in 12. He says, when your days are complete and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your descendant after you who will come forth from you and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be a father to him and he will be a son to me. When he commits iniquity, I will correct him with the rod of men and the strokes of the son of men. So I think what we're seeing here is God's going, David, not only am I in control, but I have a plan. And it's, it's not just some big picture plan. It's a very personal plan. Hey, David, this plan is for you and for your son. I will raise up your son. I will establish his kingdom. He will build a house for me. I will be a father to him. He will be a son to me. So David can trust and rest in the fact that God's in control and God's got a plan. And it's a very specific plan for him and his family. 
But it doesn't stop there. He goes on to show that the plan is also carried out and wrapped in his love. In 15, he says, my loving kindness shall not depart from him as I took it away from Saul. God's plan is wrapped, carried out, rooted, surrounded in his loving kindness. And he promises it's not going to depart as it did from Saul. For me, when I was going through a hard time, I think the verse that spoke to me the loudest to this fact that God loves me and he desires my life to be good and to be according to his plan was Romans 8.28. Romans 8.28 says, And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. If you've placed your faith in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sin, you're adopted into God's family. You are his child, his son or his daughter. You've received the Holy Spirit as a promise and a seal of what's to come. And God says, I will use all things together, all things in your life together for your good. Now, does that mean we're going to experience wild success and have lots of riches and every expectation and desire we have we're going to accomplish? No. But it does mean that he's going to be faithful to us. And he's going to grow us in himself and make us more like Christ. And to know that we have a God like that with a plan for us that's so specific and that he's in control should be super, super comforting. So the time in my life where this verse was important happened to be the same story where baseball and the girlfriend are both ripped from me. But looking back, at that time I just had to trust, okay, God, this is true. But looking back, I can testify that this was true. Because as a college athlete, you really have very little time. You're playing sports or you're in school. I had literally practiced three times a day. We ran in the morning, we did workouts in the afternoon, and then we did position work and batting in the evening. And then you're supposed to go to class in there, and they send someone to make sure you do too. So when baseball was pulled from my life, a huge gap in my schedule opened up. And God was able to fill that with Bible studies, with time in his word, and he was able to start cultivating a love for him and a love for people. And he was able to move me and let me see that I was made to interact with people and that he was calling me to full-time vocational ministry. Truthfully, if he hadn't, I wasn't giving baseball up. If he hadn't ripped it from me, I literally wouldn't be here today. And then even with the girlfriend that, I was probably just still emotional from losing baseball, but the girlfriend that goes and says, we're done too, that summer, while she's overdoing her intro, I, I actually meet Amanda, who, yeah, my wife and mother of our kids now. So at, at the darkest time where I'm, I'm just holding on, just going, okay, God, I'm going to trust that this is true. As we live life, we're able to actually point back and go, yeah, it is true. God is in control. God does have a plan. It's a very personal and specific plan. And it's wrapped in his loving kindness. However, if we stop there, then I think we've missed it. Because at this point, it's all still about me. It's all still about me. And that's not wholly what this scripture points toward. But to get the bigger story, to see the bigger picture, we actually have to step back. And we have to look at the history of the Bible. And so all the way back to the beginning where we have creation with Adam and Eve. The original purpose of even creating, God says, 
Go be my representatives of my kingdom on the earth. He creates Adam and Eve. He says, go forth, multiply, subdue the earth. But we know before the story even really got started, they messed up, they disobeyed, ate the apple, there's the serpent. They lose spiritual life and separated from God. From that moment, God says, I've got a redeemer. I've got a savior that's coming. And so he tells us in Genesis 3.15, there's one to come that the serpent will bruise his heel, but he will crush the serpent's head. And so as we look through the history coming forward to the Davidic covenant, we get further and further revelation of who, who are we looking for? Who is coming? So Abrahamic covenant, God says, all right, it's going to be Abraham. It's going to be through him and his descendants that this person comes. And then we see more of his promises given to us in the Mosaic covenant. It's going to be the Israelites, the people of Israel. And it's going to be through obedience that you can have fellowship. You can be restored to me. And then we move into the Davidic covenant. And we see in verse 16, if you'll read it with me, the, the more specific promises and characteristics that were given it says and your house and your kingdom shall endure before me forever your throne shall be established forever so all right we got abraham is going to come through him and then israelites specifically and then it's through obedience and now we see we're narrowing again it's through david's descendant through the seed of david that the savior will come And that there will be a kingdom. So we get the feeling Israel's there again. There's a kingdom to rule. And then there's a throne that will be established forever. So this man that comes from David will have the right to rule on the throne. And it will be over a kingdom and it will be forever. So if you'll flip with me to Luke 1. Luke chapter 1 verse 31. We're flipping over to the city of Nazareth at the announcement of Jesus' birth. The angel's there before Mary, and the angel's telling Mary, hey, you're going to have a son, and it's from God. And here's what the angel says, beginning in 31. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall name him Jesus, and he will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. Obviously, it was God's will that that angel used such specific language to exactly repeat the promises of the Davidic covenant. To say, hello, this is the one. This is who's coming. And so, was the Davidic covenant, was Second Samuel to David specifically? Yes, Was God saying, David, I have a plan, a very specific plan for your life, and it's wrapped in my love? Yes. But the bigger picture, God was also using this to point forward to Jesus Christ. And so that's what I mean. If we stop there, we miss the bigger picture because in having peace and in having confidence that God's in control of our life, God's the author of our life. We don't have to sweat every decision and feel like the weight is on our shoulders. We can release that to him. But in that freedom and peace, we should use that to live a life that points others to Jesus Christ. But I think the only way we do that is if we're able to step back and go, God, you're not only author 
of my life, you're also the main character of my life. So here's a little illustration for the God is the main character. Don't talk to me about importance because of you, the security of this entire universe is in jeopardy. What? What are you talking about? Right now, poised at the edge of the galaxy, Emperor Zerg has been secretly building a weapon with the destructive capacity to annihilate an entire planet. I alone have information that reveals this weapon's only weakness. And you, my friend, are responsible for delaying my rendezvous with Star Command. You are a toy! So Buzz was a little twisted. He needed a new perspective. Buzz was all stressed out because he's going, okay, I've got to get to the space station. I've got to save the universe. It's all about me. My decisions affect my life and I'm in control. And what he says, bro, you're a toy. Right? You'll find your real purpose in life when you realize it's your relationship to your owner. Andy. It's great. Yes, you're a specific toy that was created with a real story, but your role is to bring joy to your owner. It's good for me sometimes to be reminded, reminded, Dusty, you are a human. Right? Yes, you have a story. Yes, you have a plan. But you don't find real purpose in life until you're able to step back and go, all right, God, I want you to be the main character of my story. I don't want it to be for my glory. I don't want it to be about me achieving my expectations and my plans. But I'm willing to see myself in respect to who you are and what your story is. And I want my life to be written for your name. And so in that, I think... Jesus himself probably said it better than anyone. In Matthew 16, 25, he says, For whoever wishes to save his life shall lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake shall save it. I think that says it beautifully. If we're holding on to our story and our plan, we can't be freed up to do what we were created to do in the beginning. And that's be a kingdom representative. And the way that we live our life now. That we're not so focused on us, but we're able to let go of that. And in doing so, we go, all right, God, how can I bring glory to your name through the story you're writing through my life? I don't think that being a kingdom representative and using my life with God as the main character clicked for me until, well, it started to click for me, really, until the senior year at A&M. Amanda and I have been dating for a while. We're getting close to, I know I'm going to propose. She kind of knows I'm going to propose. But I needed to tell her, all right, sweetheart, here's where I am. I can't promise you any amount of riches or fame or success or the perfect little house with the white picket fence. What I can promise you is that my heart is to follow after God's story for us and that our life be for glorifying him. And I'll do my best to love you as we do that. I haven't always done that well. But when I have, it's been amazing times of growing in the Lord and seeing his faithfulness and seeing his story play out and not having to stress over every decision that has to be made. Yes, there are real decisions. Especially in this time of life. Do I date this guy or this girl? Do I do this major or this major? Or a whole other major after that? Do I take this internship or or that job? And when you think you're in control and you think your outcome is all dependent upon you, 
those can just weigh heavy. But when we're willing to let go and go, all right, God, I'm on for the ride, and it's all about you, then that's when you're able to actively do what you were created to do. So as we walk out today, a couple of practical things to go along with this that you can you know, just do today even as you go out. Practice seeing God as the main character. I think the number one way to practice seeing God as the main character is through prayer. When you go home today or in the car or whatever, draw a line in the sand and go, God, I, I don't want my life to be about me. I really want to let go. I really want my life to count for your bigger story and to be about your glory. And then do it ongoing. All those things that we talked about, the decisions you have to make, every time one of those come up, pray and go, God, help me not hold on to this. Help me not need to have control. Help me to trust and follow where you lead. And then secondly, be a kingdom representative now. Right now, where you are today, start representing God's kingdom on earth. Three ways we can do that. Number one, finances. I've heard it said many, many times. You can tell what somebody's priorities are by looking at their calendar and their checkbook. Because what your priority, you'll spend your time and you'll spend your money on it. And so right now, while you have very little of it, it would be good to develop a practice of going, God, you have control of this, not me. And Trey brought to my attention that right around the corner this summer, people right here from your community are going on mission trips. That's a very practical, tangible thing that you could give to. Second, use your gifts to serve. You can apply for leadership in the college ministry, be a youth leader, come serve in Club 56 with me, Children's ministry needs elementary, or you can even hang out with, go hang out with Caleb and Mariah and help them learn about God's character. We're all wired different. We all have a different place, but plug in. Serve. Represent his kingdom. Uh, those are kind of ongoing. I'll just throw a plug in. This summer, second week in June, so right at the beginning of the first summer session, we're doing Backyard Bible Club as a church. We're going to take little teams out in the neighborhoods all over the community and love on kids, have fun. And share the truth of Jesus Christ. That's an opportunity. Or in your life, day to day, you can pick a non-believing friend and intentionally invest in them and go, all right, I'm going to go after this person with all I got. I'm going to love them well. I'm going to grow a relationship for the sole purpose of pointing them to Jesus Christ. So two things there, kind of more than two, but two big pictures uh, that we can take out today as we go and try to let go and, and represent God's kingdom now. So if you'll pray with me, and we'll go on our way. Dear Heavenly Father, God, I just come before you this morning, and I thank you that you've chosen to pull back the story and show us that you're trustworthy, that you're in control, that you have a specific plan for each of us, that it's wrapped in your love, but that ultimately it's for your glory to be a part of your bigger story. I pray that as we go out today, you give us the confidence in who you are and in your word and its truth and the courage to let go of our need for control and our desire to control our lives and the outcomes. And we trust you so that we can point others to your name. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.